Thank you for listening to She's Got Drive. Today, we have the last in our Black Mama series of interviews with midwife Dr. Tanya Kemet Taiwo and academic Dr. Keisha Good, both respectively president and vice president of National Association of Certified Professional Midwives. We talk about the racism faced by black midwives, the decimation of black midwifery, and the need to address the structural barriers for black midwives today, and how black midwives are an answer to the black maternal health crisis. My name is Shirley McAlpine. Welcome to She's Got Drive. The work that you get involved in can be so heavy. How do you keep going? Being challenged by you, Shirley, you require of us to really claim our power. There's no time because right now babies are dying. Women are dying. Black people are suffering in systems that mistreat them and disrespect Mm -hmm. them. And so that's it's the community of midwifery that sustains me. Black midwifery is kind of my heart. That's what I will commit my life to personally and professionally. That's like kind of how I identify and see the world, not as a black midwife, but I just want to do what I can to support them in terms of leadership and amplifying the work that they're doing or Mm -hmm. amplifying their stories or whatever the case may be. So whatever capacity I can do that, that is what sustains me. So let me introduce you to my guest this week, Dr. Kemet considers herself blessed to be the mother of three beautiful girls who were all born in the hands of midwives. After serving as clinical administrator and staff midwife of the Birthing Project for eight years, she became one of the founding mothers of Birth and Family Health Centre, women's health clinics housed in community health centres located in medically underserved areas of Sacramento. She currently works in a federally qualified health centre, continuing to care for low-income families in the multidisciplinary setting. She considers herself someone who comes from a family tradition of midwives. Before being elected as president, she served as co-president and joined NACPM board of directors in fall 2012. She is an assistant professor of midwifery at Bastyr University, a research fellow at the Birthplace Lab at the University of British Columbia, where she's collaborating on Giving Voice to Mother's Study, a research project that examines how race, ethnicity and birthplace affect maternity care in the U.S., Dr. Keisha Good joined the board of NACPM as a public member. She currently is a visiting assistant professor of sociology at the State University of New York College. Her primary research area is medical sociology with specific attention to the medicalization of childbirth and the historical and contemporary complexities of black midwifery in the United States. She's currently writing her book, getting ready for publication, her dissertation research, Birthing Blackness and the Body, Black Midwives and the Experiential Continuities of Institutional Racism. Get my teeth in there. Um, I give you Tanya and Keisha. So why don't you share with our listeners about yourself and the work you do and and how you've come to do that work. Keisha, why don't you go first? Okay, Um, so I am not a midwife, but I consider myself a black midwifery enthusiast. I'm deeply committed to black midwifery in the um, United States and I'm a sociologist and I came to the work because I have a 
background as an educator for middle and high school students. And I moved to New York City in 2008 to pursue my doctorate in sociology at the Graduate Center. And I'd intended to do research on sociology of education. So I'd originally wanted to look at how uh, black maternal literacy practices in terms of what black women have um, in the home in terms of reading, what they're reading, how often they like to read, not literacy rates, but practices and how that was impacting their black children, specifically boys. And when I started researching some of the literature on sociology of education, I didn't love it. It came from a lot of it, at the time at least, was coming from a bit of a deficit model around blackness, which isn't that different than birth. But I just didn't want to contribute to um, that literature. I just, it didn't resonate with me. So I started thinking more generally about how black children enter into the world how Black people are cared for as they are birthing, which got me to um, midwifery. Barbara Katz-Rothman, sociologist, was in my department. We hadn't had a prior relationship up to that time, but she really was one of the few sociologists studying um, midwifery and had been doing so since the 1970s. And so I just wanted to learn more about midwifery. And I kind of asked her what was going on with the contemporary Black midwives. And she told me how few there were. And I started investigating more. And um, I emailed... um, Uh, Mama Shafia from uh, ICTC, International Mm -hmm. Center for Traditional Childbearing. She was so kind and gracious to me. I flew out to see her not long after we'd been in contact. She gave me so much history of Black midwifery. She was so kind and loving. She was kind of my my favorite midwife then, Mm -hmm. my first midwife. And I have such a fond appreciation for her. And she gave me all that I really needed to know. And she connected me with a lot of Black midwives. And that's how my dissertation project got started. And once I finished, I joined NACPM as a public member in 2015 and been committed to midwifery, but specifically focused on Black midwifery ever since. Great. And just like the so NACPM is the National Association of Certified Professional Midwives. The title of your thesis was? It was Birthing Blackness and the Body, Black Midwives and experiential continuities of institutional racism. It's such a very long title. A very um, academic title, should I say. Very, very academic. academic title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, um, I'm now working on that into a book. I have a contract with Columbia University Press. And that dissertation really got circulated a lot in midwifery. And we could talk, mm-hmm. um, we can talk about that. Great. But that's the, that was your road into where you are now and your like, advocacy around midwifery. So Tanya, like share with us um, about you and how you came to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Keisha started off saying I'm not a midwife. Um, And so I will start off saying that I am a midwife, but there are (laughs) intersections in our story which have brought us to this, this moment here together. I actually was a organizer in South Central Los Angeles Mm-hmm. working with an organization called Jobs with Peace, um, side by side with the Coalition Against Police Brutality and mm-hmm. doing work in South Central Los Angeles in the Black community at the 
the very beginning of, or in the midst of the early days of the crack epidemic mm -hmm. and the rise of gang violence. And what the community was calling for was school, school age childcare. So we were working and organizing within South Central, you know, for, to address that community aim. You know, there were folks in the party, in the, in the organization from the Black Panther Party, and there were um, a lot of the white people in the organization. But everybody was unhealthy. We had unhealthy lives. We were working 10, 12, 14-hour days. And I kept thinking, like, how are we going to conceive of a new world? How are we going to lead the revolution when we don't even have our own lives together? That got me down that, that path. And it, then I happened to get pregnant as I was beginning to think about this and started to think, you know, what do I want for my birth and my, and my care? I didn't know anything about midwives. I didn't even know that midwives was an option. And it was, we, we went to a, a bookstore, me and my partner, and started digging through books. And I was like, oh, you can have a baby outside of a hospital? You know, oh, you can have a midwife and you and you you can even have your baby at home. And then as I was I'm sitting on the floor in this bookstore with books piled up. Anyone who lived in Los Angeles in that time will remember Esawan bookstore. And it hit me like a bolt of lightning. Like I want to be a midwife. This wow. is my path. This is what I want to be when I grow up. And <laughs> So, and I, during that pregnancy, I immediately started taking the prerequisites for midwifery school and then trying to figure out what was my path. Should I become a nurse midwife? And, and the nurse midwifery route just didn't feel right to me. I ended up, you know, um, deciding to become, well, at the time, the, the credential certified professional midwife didn't exist. And so I decided to go the direct entry midwifery route and moved to Seattle and had more babies along the way and taking more classes. Yeah, it, it took me from, the, from that bolt of lightning, you know, the light bulb over the head mm -hmm. to the time that I graduated was actually about 12 years. So I was blessed with a health professional scholarship that briefly was available to licensed midwives in Washington State. Wow. And I got that letter and then I then I called my mother to say, I'm going to midwifery school. I'm starting in two weeks. And my mother tells me, my mother was a midwife, Miss yeah. Icy. <laughs> and I said, well, I knew they called her nurse, but I never knew that she was a midwife. And then my mother furthermore blew me away by telling me the generation before Miss Icy Auntie Rosie and her sister were also midwives in Jamaica. Amazing. My story is not unique. There are so many black women who have midwifery ancestors mm -hmm. and some of them know. And a lot of times they don't even know until they're actually on the path of midwifery. And it's such a common story heard among black midwives and doulas. And so I am definitely not unique. After midwifery school, moved to California to join the, the Birthing Project Clinic, a clinic that was built by black women in the community who were had had a mentorship program 
They were sister friends to little sisters. They connected with them for the pregnancy, birth, and the, the next year of the child. And those sister friends got tired of taking their little sisters to doctor's offices where they were disrespected, where they right. were mistreated, waiting long hours. And so they built a clinic and then they decided that it was midwives that they wanted in the clinic. And so this was an amazing experience to be a part of a black led, wow. you know, <laughs> organization doing exceptional work in the community. But that led me to really get that midwifery needed to be accessible. It it needed to move out of that place where the overall white midwifery, progressive white midwifery movement had sidelined it into something that was only available to those who could afford it. And it right. is when that and frustration that led me to NACPM and working to really bring the CPM credential to wider recognition, um, Medicaid reimbursement, which will, you know, lead to other insurance reimbursements and also make sure that CPMs are, you know, that the, the state led, we get state legislature um, recognize direct entry midwifery in mm -hmm. the, the CPM credential. But I, the place of intersection is when I was in Seattle, I read a newspaper article about Mama Shafia and called her up and she said, come visit me. And I got on a train with my three little babies and went and spent the weekend with Mama Shafia. And that, because I, at, to that point, I had been, you know, alone in Seattle, going through midwifery school and having, you know, this connection with, with Mama Shafia in Portland, Oregon, just really made me understand that I was part of a beginning movement and part of a network of, of Black midwives across this country. First, I want to give a shout out and send lots of love to all my listeners who have supported me with growing the show. And the way to grow the show is to share the show. If you could think about someone in your life who you believe would benefit from listening to the amazing women who I get to interview and the tools and approaches that I share with you on She's Got Drive that would help them transform their lives, then please find that person in your contacts and share an episode of She's Got Drive with them today. The other thing that I would love you to do is if you head over to iTunes and if you could rate and review the show, this is critical to having us grow the show and expand the She's Got Drive platform. Thank you so much. And let's get back to the interview. Thank you so much for sharing just how much your work as a midwife started in activism, right? The inspiration started there and in you carrying your own baby. Tanya sitting in a bookstore surrounded by books, having that epiphany. I totally get it because you, you know what I mean? Like he's so like, that's very Tanya, very Tanya. So and then I think what's wonderful is you speak to Mama Shafia and, and what she has, like her bringing the contribution that she um, was to both of you and that she had provide, has provided that for many, many, many black birth workers and black midwives, right, um, over the years. Um, so why is it so important in this moment for 
um, us to be speaking about midwifery? What, you know, midwives and activists have been, have been saying midwifery is an answer, have been saying, let us in, let us into the system. And is finally when the system has begun to recognize that it is in crisis. Black infant and maternal mortality have been unconscionable in this country for decades. Mm-hmm. The gift of social media, as well as the activism, the Black Lives Matter, that has really fueled a demand that the system acknowledge that it is in crisis. And so we have the community now calling for midwifery. We have the community calling for doulas. So I think that now is a moment where midwives get to say, here I am, I've been here. You know, I've been knocking on the doors of the hospitals and, you know, trying to get in and trying to to show that there is an alternative. Nithi, for you, Keisha, on that one. Yeah, I, I echo everything that um, that Tanya said. I mean, I think now is a time where we're, there's so much out there about Black maternal mortality and kind of the efficacy of midwifery and the midwife model of care, which we we've all known and has been demonstrated for for um, decades. The other part of the story isn't just about black mortality or morbidity, but it is about kind of black joy and the experiences that black people deserve while being pregnant and giving birth and just across the span of the reproductive lifetime that midwifery care really matters and that it really is about families. And I think the other part for me, because I have entered into, I love hearing Tanya's story and I've entered into it from not a midwife perspective that midwifery is deeply ancestral and black midwives Mm -hmm. have always been there and kind of always existed. And I think as we're having this conversation this national elevation around Black life and Black Lives Matter, that midwifery is so central to Black history. And I think that Black midwives haven't been really honored sufficiently in terms of the great things and the great movements that have been gained from from Black midwives over time. I mean, this country owes a debt, really, to, to Black midwives. I mean, they have literally birthed the nation, <laughs> right. um, along with, you know, indigenous midwives and so on. And so I think there is the, there's the data point, like in terms of proving outcomes, there's the experiential point in terms of how it makes people feel in contrast to the medical model of care. And then there's just that it matters. Like it just matters for history's sake, for cultural practices sake mm-hmm. on its own, you know, it, it really, really matters. And Black Midwest Day really deserve to be honored. Yeah. Um, to the other pieces about the, the, the amount of Black midwives that are present versus, you know, so you said the Black midwives bir- literally birthed a nation, you know, they delivered America until Black midwifery was discredited as a campaign, really, to discredit Black midwives that led to where we are today. Where we where there's insufficient numbers and the struggle for to actually, as you said, like um, Tanya, you took you twelve years. Some of that was about, as you said, afford being able to afford midwifery school, and the other side of that is not being able to 
be even reimbursed for your work right and in some spaces so Mm -hmm. how do we start to address that need for more black midwives because we know as you said the, the the outcomes improve for black women if they have a black midwife as the experience of of them giving birth and and i love that you brought in black joy because we you know the stresses and all the all that's associated with the birth process in america how do we get to have an experience of black joy which is deserved in this moment in that moment so how do we get to a point where we start to increase the number of black midwives because we know it's urgent i think part of what obstetrics has to do and midwifery which is 90 to 92 percent white i don't know tanya you may know the updated Mm -hmm. stats Mm -hmm. on that that part of what needs to happen is that they have to tell the truth around what happened like you can't you can't get to the justice that is needed without owning and acknowledging and telling the truth around how professions were built by the attempted decimation of Mm -hmm. a group of people i mean they literally learned from um, from midwives and then did this whole public campaign, which is incredibly racist and classist and sexist, but was really effective, unfortunately, you know? And so I think that for me, I always think about a first answer to that question is you have to tell the truth around what happened in mm-hmm. order to get to a place of, um, of sort of restoration. And then there is there are these major structural barriers, which is what I'm kind of really interested in, which is around education access, which Tanya has spoken to and experiences in professional organization. Those are all structural racism inside of midwifery is a major, major barrier to increasing the number of midwives of color more generally, but specifically, specifically black midwives and indigenous midwives. And so that's also part of the kind of truth telling that midwifery has to do. Absolutely, Keisha. I, such a, such an important point. The harm needs to be acknowledged and these professions being built on on the backs of black women and the harm that has been done but also the 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 legacy of knowledge mm-hmm. that obstetrics and and midwifery were built uh, were taken from black women we preserved the traditions so that midwifery could emerge in this country in the 70s or reemerge and additionally we need to the system has to change. And these are some of the pieces that we've been working on within NACPM. We're super duper excited, proud, elated that we've been able to assist in gaining federal financing for midwifery education. Federal financing has been available for doctors and nurses, um, but has never been available for midwifery. And so we were able to, with years and years of policy work and relationship building, Mm -hmm. assist in in gaining uh, millions of dollars for midwifery education. We are also actively working on the Midwife for Moms Act, which will, again, provide more money for both for midwifery education as well as midwifery schools. And we also contributed to or working with 
Congresswoman Lauren Underwood's office and the Congressional Black Caucus to create the Momnibus, which is a massive piece of legislation that aimed at addressing the social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. And within the acts, within the Momnibus, midwifery in its expansive form, inclusive of nurse midwives, inclusive of the CPM credential, it is recognized throughout the Momnibus bill. So we see that, you know, this legislative action by, by working to integrate midwifery into the system, providing money for, um, for education is really, really critical. The next phase that we've also been dreaming of is federal recognition of the CPM credential that will begin to open all kinds of doors in multiple states for midwives to be reimbursed. Right. You know, it's very few states right now where you can have a home birth if you are on Medicaid or if you are on, you know, many private insurances. That is the, you know, the next phase is getting federal recognition so that state activists can begin to bring that to their states and begin to their insurance commissioners and, um, and, and to their Medicaid agencies and begin to to make the care more accessible because I love how Keisha talked about black joy because that is really where we want to get to. It's yes, midwives do save lives. We do have great outcomes. We do reduce preterm birth. We do mm -hmm. reduce low birth weight, all of those things we do. And we also give birthing people the birth experience that they want with autonomy and respect. I wanted to take a moment to share with you my gratitude journal, which is 30 days of gratitude, making every day count. It's a reflective gratitude journal for women. It's aimed to enrich your life as you go through the next 30 days. And the quotes and pieces of wisdom on each page are there to enjoy and to speak to you each and every day. The practice of gratitude is there. The aim of this journal is to help you to develop. This is a daily practice of focusing on things in your life that you appreciate. The simple process of writing down three things that you are grateful for every morning allows you to start your day in a positive place. When you start a practice of gratitude, it can have such a profound effect on your mental, emotional and physical well-being, as well as a, an increase in the happiness in your life. The practice of gratitude has been scientifically proven to improve our sleep, our relationships, our sense of self and our mental well-being. And also in the journal, there's a practice of daily setting daily intentions. When we set daily intentions, it can support you with setting a pathway for each day. Setting your intention will give you focus, setting you on the right direction for the day. And with daily intentions, you are more likely to take an, the action and have the state of being that matches your intention, leaving you with a feeling of greater satisfaction with, with you achieving what you want in your day. The power of intention is a focused mind. So the 30 Days of Gratitude, Making Every Day Count is available on Amazon.com on the Drive Journals page. The link is in the show notes. So click the link. It's like $6, something like that. And then take on a daily practice. You will see that I've already started to post my daily practice on my Instagram page. So you can do it together. So order your 30 Days of Gratitude, Making Every Day Count. Um, and let's see 
what positive effect it can have in your day. If I'm a black midwife or I am thinking about being a midwife, why is all of what you've just shared important to me? Like what relevance does that have to me? Because I think we don't always see the awareness isn't always there about the importance of that national work when we're working on the ground and, and trying to provide for in our local communities. Like our focus can very, because it's, it's a battleground in the local communities, right? Because we know that so many people are not getting what they need. You know this, this is where you began, right? In terms of mm-hmm. your work in, in LA. Why should I care about all of that federal work? Why should I care about the work of NACPM? Why should I care about all of that? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such an excellent question. And it's so easy. Like being a midwife, it is a labor of love. There's a lot of joy, but it is a lot of work. And I think it's really hard. And especially when you have people that are coming it, coming at it from activism. Mm-hmm. And so they're, you know, they're, they're okay with the low pay and being on call all the time. But I I think that the midwives who are working hard in their communities need to know that there is respite, need to know that there is more, that they should be able to have time off. Mm -hmm. They should not be working out of their children's birthday parties because they have to be on call all the time to make ends meet. And that we can begin to look at business models that are going to allow midwives to send their children to college so that they can be midwives. I think that that, and that gets lost when you're just busy serving your community out of love. Yeah. And your commitment to making that difference, but there's a, there is a huge cost to those black Mm -hmm. midwives and their personal lives as they, as black midwifery is activism in and of itself, right? Because of the, challenges that black mothers and black babies are facing and brown mothers and brown babies are are facing right Mm -hmm. the federal work and this really the state level work that nacpm does really impacts the scope of practice of midwives and therefore their ability to really care care for people i became a part of nacpm because that work is so important if we're talking about the ultimate goal being caring for black people and their families then that midwife scope of practice and being able to access people is really really significant so mm-hmm. i think that NACPM's work really matters there and i'd also say that at least the conversations that NACPM has about equity and structural racism and gender-based oppression really matters given the demographics of the midwifery uh, population. Um, As we talked about kind of that truth and reconciliation piece, and NACPM has some ways to go for sure, Mm -hmm. um, as do all of the the white-led organizations do. Um, There's a lot of room to grow there, but I, I certainly appreciate being a part of an organization that understands that there is no midwifery without equity. And that does require sort of shifting the power equation in terms of leadership 
for sure. I don't think we've said that Tanya is the president of the board of NACPM. Tanya joined the board in 2012. That longest person of color on the board. Tanya has been president since, what year, Tanya? Yeah, and I'm currently yeah. serving as the uh, the vice president, but I, I think that, you know, Black leadership in uh, organizations and Black leadership on the board also really matters for midwives who are aspiring midwives, for current student midwives. Mm-hmm. It matters because it's important for people to see that there is a pathway and a vision towards um, their own leadership because they should be contributing to the leadership of the profession and the direction um, of the profession. And so I do, I just really appreciate that aspect of NACPM's leadership in the midwifery space, mm-hmm. in addition to the legislation and policy work. Yeah. So are you saying that it, that it's, it stood out in that space in leading around the kind of diversity on the board and the commitment to equity um, and what's been, yeah. what's been fairly long, longstanding in that respect? Yeah. Yes, yes, for sure. Because, you know, I started doing my dissertation work at a really interesting time, for sure, in terms of midwifery, like the conversations around anti-racism and equity that I actually didn't know until I started actually doing the work. And leadership is when you're able to make some action on what your community is saying. And NACPM was was doing that and has continued to do that um, since I've been on on the board. And again, needs work and is fully understands that, but really attempts to hold um, issues of equity at center. And I really, I, I appreciate that. And it's been kind of an ongoing journey. There is no other, I'm always clear about this. There's no other midwifery organization that I would have agreed to be on the board of. There was no, no way. So I feel really proud of the work that NACPM mm-hmm. has done thus far um, and excited about the work that is um, ahead. Great. Great. Well, Tanya, what have you got to say about that in terms of um, in the midwifery space, the work that needs to get done, um, the importance of leadership? Because we know that leadership matters. I mean, if in terms of shifting, transforming the space, you can't have that unless you've got black people in leadership positions. The end. Um, no, there's no debate there. Anyone's up for debate around that can kind of we can chat about that at some other time you can dm me but this but there's no debate about that if you want to transform a space you need black people leadership positions in order to who let me just backtrack black people leadership positions who are cognizant of and committed to the transformation of those spaces um in terms of what um keisha was sharing like what is it that what have you got to share about your leadership and from 2012 and in that moment in the midwifery space and the importance of black leadership? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And yeah, Keisha, thanks for, for that, acknowledging that history. You know, there, a lot of times what happens when white organizations get called in, they, um, they, they have a tendency to think that, well, we just need one black person and then, and then we're done. And that black person is going to, you know, take care of everything or we just need a person of color 
mm-hmm. you know, one, 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 you know, we'll, we'll pull them some, out of somewhere and we'll plop them into the organization and then everything will be fine. Right. And that was not the approach that NACPM took when, when the, when the call came from the community to address the systemic racism um, that NACPM had been a party to and perpetuated within the midwifery community. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, what they did was two um, board members, two black board members, and, and that was a particular decision to have those, those two appointed decisions be black midwives mm-hmm. because black people are the ones having the worst birth outcomes in this country. And so recognizing that first that, mm-hmm. you know, you go when, when Notre Dame was burning in Paris, there was nobody running around saying all churches matter. Right. Right. Everybody, whole world was worried about the Notre Dame. So, but, but that's not all, that's not all, not just take, say, okay, we'll have one, we'll have two people and plop them in the board. No. Then there was work that the entire board had to do together Mm -hmm. to begin to, to address their own relationship to, to their whiteness, their relationship to, to racism. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the board made the decision to add public members and, um, and again, public members who were black women. And so we've had now, Keisha has been the longest running public member, but we also have um, another woman of color who serves as a public member. And, um, and that, and also oh, there's a recognition that, you know, that the work continues. So it's not that the board just took a course and they were like, okay, we're done. And we have our two black people and we have our, there are two black midwives. We got two people of color, you know, um, as public members. But but this continual testing and retesting, we you know doing equity assessments of our initiatives, and mm-hmm. and also making sure that we we tap into the the right people to support us on this journey you know, looking at who we hire as facilitators, for example, mm-hmm. or who we hire, you know, to do uh, administrative work. So it it's looking at all parts of the system because racism is embedded in every nook and cranny. And so that's the piece that NACP, and, and I'm not saying that I've been there and so the work is done. Mm-mm. I have been a witness to the beginning of the work and the continuation of the work, and it needs to continue. In order for NACPM and midwifery and the CPM credential to have relevance in the system of care, equity has to be at the forefront of everything we do. And every person in leadership has to be continually doing their work around anti-racism and around healing our trauma for those of us who have been impacted by racism. Well, we all have been impacted. But yeah. our work is different. Yeah. I mean, I want to, and, you know, I kind of want to do full disclosure that uh, that I have been one of the facilitators, a key facilitator in that journey with NACPM, because if I don't say that, it feels very odd to me to not say that out loud. And 
and that have very, very much been in the conversations and in the facilitated conversations and guiding around like what does anti-racism in action and equity in action actually look like? And when you don't get it right, then to review why you didn't get it right and then what do you need to do? What does repair look start to look like as well in terms of action? And so... Um, you know, the importance of this is like for every outward um, action that is seen, there are a zillion other pieces of work that's been done behind the scenes to get to that, get to that place, you know. So and the importance of having people who ha who hold power in those positions, that those positions on lead on the boards uh, are not just for show that they have to have power that they have that you have power in numbers you know so you're not as you said you're not the one only on the on in any space and i'm saying this because there's lots of people now making moves in organizations and saying i know what we'll do we'll just get that one person no because uh there's no power in the one person we just have them but they don't have equal power in terms of the rest of the people who sit in those in those leadership spaces. So it's really important how you do it as well as that you're doing it and that it's Can integrated I add into the work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to I, I wanted to acknowledge you and I'm, I'm glad, thank you for saying your role in really pushing the, the organization. You've been the facilitator my entire time that I've been on the board since 2015. I had, and a, gap. It, I had a gap, but not for long. Yeah. But I think when I think of you, I think of you as so central to the NACPM experience. The, there's so much that I can think about where you sort of pushed and challenged us to get where we are today. And, um, and also part of where we are today, which I think you have really helped us with, is I think the midwifery landscape has certainly changed a lot and shifted, at least since I've entered into the work Tanya's been in. Mm -hmm. and longer. And I think that sort of the ascendancy of Black and Indigenous uh, leadership is so incredibly powerful. It has always, always been there. It's just that in terms of the national conversation, mm -hmm. it's so different than the last couple of years. Part of NACPM's work going back to that conversation around telling the truth and restoration is supporting and empowering and lifting up the org the work of Black-led organizations mm -hmm. like the National Black Midwives Alliance, like the National Association to Advance Black Birth, Center mm -hmm. for Indigenous Midwifery, Black Mamas Matter, National Association of Indigenous Midwifery, if I have that correct. Mm -hmm. There are so many, the Queer Midwives Association, there are so much good work that is being done by people in the communities. And part of the work for organizations like NACPM is to support and amplify that work because yeah. that is part of sort of the healing that has to, to happen. You can't just take away and then go about, you know, business as usual, but it really is about how do we support and advance that work that's already being done? And I think that's kind of the next phase uh, as I see it of NACPM's equity work. There's the internal work that mm -hmm. the white folks on the board have to do mm -hmm. and 
the cisgender people on the board have to do, right. that that's the work to, to certainly be, um, to be done and really lifting up those that are doing some powerful work to, right. to shift uh, equity or to shift the national uh, midwifery workforce. Thank you. I want to thank you for the acknowledgement. I get that. And then how we, how black people need, need the black led organizations and the desire for that, them to grow, to thrive and to continue to be the voice of black people and representing black birthing people and black mamas what does the allyship or, or being an accomplice really look like at the organizational level is what you're speaking about there is versus the potential where some people can see it as a battleground and it is not a battleground it is a, we we need to have partnerships we need to have alliances we need to have um, we need to amplify the voices. We need to open doors. When you get a seat at the table, we need to enable, <laughs> right? Support. And so there's important work that the NACPM continues to do in the federal space and everything. And then, as you said, like, what's our work as we, as the landscape is, is dynamic and shifting? And you're right. It's like it's 10 years ago in 2010, I think was the time when I first landed in my first midwifery space in the US, which was a conference in Wisconsin um, that we were facilitating, which was about disparities in birth outcomes. And sadly, we are still having that conversation. The results are, I don't know, they're not, they certainly haven't improved. I think they've got worse, but in terms of the midwifery space has certainly transformed and the opportunities are certainly transformed. So Tanya, what do you think the, where's the, what's the next stage for the work from your perspective in terms of NACPM's work and your, and the work that you've been doing as, as the president of NACPM? First of all, really uplifting the work of the, um, people of color led organization. Um, black and indigenous people and people of color organizations and mm -hmm. making sure that we are developing healthy relationships with integrity and also that we can continuing to so support the work that's happening in all of the states. We are currently licensed in 34 states and there's a lot, lot of action happening in the states that aren't licensed. And so Additionally, we do want to continue to support the passage of the Momnibus Bill. Mm -hmm. It's not a midwifery-specific bill, but it will have a huge impact on birthing folks across this country, and particularly Black women. Then there's the, the federal legislation piece. We really do want to see the CPM credential recognized federally so that it can catapult everything that folks are doing at the state level. Those are some of the pieces that we're working on that feel pretty urgent for me. The work that you get involved in can be so heavy, you know, in a space where, in a time where, where racism and the conversations around the, the, the about black lives and the black lives mo movement, um, is so heightened for all of us 
Um, so my question for you is, how do you like keep it, keep going? How do you take care of yourself? And what are the kind of practices that you do that would be non-negotiable for you so that you can keep it moving, you know, that you can you can sustain yourself in this very, very long road that we are on for change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as you said that, and you said the very long road for change, I remember that, um, that song from the civil rights days, um, mm-hmm. keep, keep your eyes on the prize, hold yeah. on mm-hmm. at which we used to sing in at jobs with peace, you know, before mm-hmm. meetings, we would sing these, you know, songs from, um, from the civil rights struggles. One of the things that truly, like one thing that really sustains me is we have um, an initiative that we're calling the Bigger Table Initiative. Mm -hmm. And it is directly raising money to help midwives get over that last hurdle. And so for midwives of color, we pay for their licensing fees, their state licensing fees, or their exam. Every three months, we have awardees, and I get to call these awardees. I get to call someone and tell them that we are going to mail them a check that's going to cover their exam fees or their state licensing fees, which could be $1,000. And then you know, and there's a lot of times, because I made these calls yesterday, a lot of times there's a baby crying in the background or cooing in the background. Mm-hmm. And then these, you know, and it primarily, I think most of our awardees have been black women mm-hmm. and they tell me their stories mm. and tell me about their journey. And they tell me also about the work that they're already doing. So a lot of them have been doing work in their communities, whether they've been home visitors or doulas or working in public health on their journey towards midwifery. And to make that call and say, you know what, we're going to give you, we're going to help you with that last step. So yesterday, one of the, one of the black women I called, she said, you know, I, I put it on a, I put my state licensing fees on a credit card and I had no idea how I was going to pay pay it back. And I'm like, okay, the check's in the mail, pay it back. (laughs) So that's one of the things that sustains me. It sustains me to have these kinds of conversations with folks like you, Mm. you know, I've learned so much from Keisha and how she has come around to midwifery from a completely different perspective. And, and, you know, and the stories that she's gathering, I mean, she is like one of the ancient griots, right. Of, you know, where she's Mm -hmm. been, she's gathering all of these, all of these stories and retelling them and, you know, and getting, spending time with you and being challenged by you, Shirley. I hear your voice in my head, you know, when I'm, (laughs) even when I'm far away and not even thinking about NACPM because of you require of us to have integrity and to really claim our power and to claim our power now, you know, and not just, yeah, okay. You know what? As soon as I get this done, then I'm going to claim my power. No, you're constantly reminding us that it's like, it's right now. Like there's no time because right now people are, babies are dying. Women are dying. 
Black people are suffering in systems that mistreat them and disrespect mm-hmm. them. And so that's, it's the community of midwifery that sustains me. Oh, so good. So good. I love this. I love the story about the awardee of the bigger table initiative. That is beautiful. And that, that like call, like she picks up the call and that's the result of the call. I mean, that's just like, Beautiful, beautiful. And thank you. So about you, Keisha, what sustains you in this? That was so beautifully, beautifully, beautifully said. Um, You know, I think about, I I knew Tanya or met Tanya um, when I was a student. So I probably, I've known Tanya almost 10 years now and in different capacities. And it's just so it's so amazing that we get to work together and, um, you know, sort of lead the organization together. It is beautiful. And it really, that, that piece about community is so, so important that I came into this work as a, as a researcher and I can, there are so many black midwives that I deeply, deeply love and midwives Mm. just more generally who have made a major, major, major impact in my life because the the question was around um, what sustains me kind of personally and black midwifery is kind of my heart. That's what I will commit my life to personally and professionally. That's like kind of how I identify and see the world, not as a black midwife, but I just want to do what I can to support them in terms of leadership and amplifying the work that they're doing or Mm -hmm. amplifying their stories or whatever the case may be. So whatever capacity I can do that, that is what sustains me. When you ask us about uh, our personal lives or what we might need for self-care, it always comes back to the work. So it's just so, I love listening to Tanya (laughs) because I knew what she was going to talk about. I just, I know her so well. I knew it was going to go back to, to the work. And I think part of, part of black leadership in particular, just especially black women, how we are socialized in terms of work that systems are so violent. And as, even as much as we love the work, it can just be so overwhelming. And, mm-hmm. and I think part of sustaining for us is figuring out how do we cultivate our own joy, our own peace, our own health? Because that's also part of the story mm-hmm. here too with mid- Black midwifery in particular that we don't name, but is an important piece is around the work is so hard and sometimes people's lives and family and, and health become secondary to that work because they're so deeply committed to it. And so I think part of when I think about the bigger picture of um, NACPM's work and just other work in general, Mm -hmm. Black uh, National Black Midwives Alliance and whatever, is, is about cultivating a sense of community, but also cultivating a sense of care. People have to care, you know, for themselves. And I think about just some lessons that I've, I've learned about that with, you know, the death of my mother, but midwives were there for me. Like Tanya Mm -hmm. was there really there for me. Shirley, you were, our quasi midwife was also really, (laughs) really there. That's really the, one of the power of midwifery. And 
you, I, I needed that time for kind of care. And, and I think sometimes midwives don't know how to do that for themselves. And that's a piece of a major piece of work. They can do that super well for other people, mm-hmm. but not always, you know, for themselves. And so I think just a lesson for us is being in tune with our bodies and our just what we need for care is what is actually going to sustain us, you know, so that we have, we can talk about the work that we love, like Tanya, (laughs) and and other things that we are doing, you know, to sustain. Yeah. I think that's very powerful in the level of commitment, passion, and the commitment is such that it's like you really can't leave it alone. Right. Because the, the, because the need is so urgent the need is is um and heartbreaking when we really get present to what's happening so that's the pull right the pull to connect us to to want to keep going and and that's why so many people are are not stopping and at the same time acknowledging unless you do stop unless you do pause unless you do take care then you do get burnt out and or you do have struggles that you could avoid or you could help yourself if you take some time to give yourself a break, you know, take yourself away from source yourself in a different way. And the collective care and the collective community and the communal care as a conversation is a critical conversation. So if we had to think about what are the critical conversations that, that need to get had, then that's one of them. And I think if we think, what can we learn from other activist spaces as they are facing that same conversation around mm-hmm. self-care and the need yeah. to take care of herself? And that that is not unique. You know, that I think that self-sacrifice is part of the pattern of activism and Black activism. And that's something that we, I think, collectively need to transform. But the, But we can see why the environment, we can't wait for the environment to help us with that because that isn't where it's going to get sourced from. It can only get sourced from ourselves because that is always going to be a pull for you doing more <laughs> because it's so awful. What's happening is just like, when you look there, you think I've got to do more. I got to do more. And, and you can't do more if there's no more to give, but there's so much, so much to learn. Big learning curve, big learning. If there's a learning edge for inside of uh, this, conversation i used to ask this question i haven't asked this one for a long time but i want to say it's called what mama used to say what is the guidance or wisdom that you've gained from your mother or an elder in your life that has stuck with you i think i just want to ask you that given what we've been who this space that we've been talking about you both know that my mother passed away on my birthday and uh, Saturday, it'll be five years that she's passed, which is just amazing wow. how time flies, right? Wow. Yeah, it's just yeah. incredible. Yeah, I'll be 40 on Saturday, and it'll be five years since she died. It's interesting. I've been thinking about something that she used to say to me when I would like scrape my knee or something on the playground. She would say, you know, your scars are your armor. And that's been so kind of mm-hmm. helpful to me. As I've grown older, and especially even really since she since she passed and not that you actually need the scar for Mm -hmm. the learning, because that's unfortunate, we shouldn't have to have that. But it's more about what do you learn about life along the ways your joys, your wins, your hurts, Mm -hmm. your your harms, how do they 
how do they inform your principles and your mm-hmm. sense of groundedness and and your work? And I have it's so interesting you asked that question because I've been thinking about that so much um, in the last week about how my physical scars or otherwise have really um, shaped what I want for my life and how I see the world and you know my sense of integrity and, and character and all of the whenever I become a mom, like all of those things, mm-hmm. how the, those scars have really, um, have really informed that. Wow. Oh, that is so powerful. Yes. It's <laughs> so powerful. We could, we could keep talking about that lesson, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. I think one thing, I mean, there's very many things that I have so much that I've learned from my mother, but, um, I think about a lot the, the um, there's a, a biblical saying that she would say, and it, you know, no matter what's going on, think of the good parts of it. There's always a piece of good in there. Whatever is good and pure, I think is how it says, think on those things, mm-hmm. you know, and to kind of cut through the negativity or, or your perceptions. Yeah. You know, it goes back to what Keisha said about black joy, right? About choosing joy. The revolutionary is guided by great love, you know, and 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 that and that mm-hmm. desire for joy, seeing other people experience joy. Well, I think we should end on that note, really. <laughs> Thank you so much, both of you, for being a guest. Thank you for this beautiful conversation and really deep conversation. And I just really have appreciated you both for being here. And I want to say I appreciate you both of like having the privilege of working with you both over these years. This has been um, certainly one of the highlights of my life and the highlights of my work and, and the highlights of my time here in the U.S. as well. You know, started before the my move, but, you know, mm-hmm. I've been able to carry on. So and I look forward to being of service to you in the future inside of this very, very important movement for black mama's lives and black babies' lives that we are in. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Shirley, appreciate you. Thank you, and I appreciate so much being invited on a She's Got Drive podcast because I've listened to so, you know, so many amazing (laughs) interviews and like, it's like, oh, I'm we made it, Tommy. Oh, I feel so honored. <laughs> I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. So that comes to the end of the series for now around Black mothers and um, the Black maternal health crisis and the urgency and. I hope that through the last couple of last two or three interviews that I posted over the last few weeks, that it has, if, if you weren't aware of it, that you've become aware of it. If you weren't aware of the urgency of it, you've become aware of the urgency of it. And perhaps looking to see what, what you could do that, what we all need to do to pay attention to this crisis. And the fact that we know that black midwives delivered America We know that black midwives are unsung and unseen heroes and continue to be and that the urgency is is the resurgence and the growth of 
black midwifery in the US to address the crisis that is so unbelievable, but believable given the systemic patterns of oppression and racism that we see here. And that's it for this week. I always love to hear from you if you could reach out to me and let me know what are you taking away what's your insight what are you left with um and sometimes these conversations could be anger inducing frustration annoyance and the other side is like windows of what's possible windows of of action that you could be taking so um please let me know you can contact me on my instagram account you can dm me there and you can also contact me through my through the Facebook page. But there's always my website, shirleymacalpine.com forward slash contact me. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Ortolina. Thank you so much for listening. Go well and stay well.